Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here today. And you too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hear Paul gives a mean sermon, so yeah. Let's take our Bibles once again to the book of Daniel, and let's turn to chapter 9, chapter 9 of Daniel, and uh, we'll read the first 19 verses. This probably, um, it would seem as we're going to take a bit of a break today, but not really, because it allows us to see why Daniel was this man that we've come to know with so many characteristics that are mirroring of what God really desires of us as well being conformed to the image of Christ, which Daniel did not know. But I'm thinking of this. The first 19 verses literally deal with his prayer life. And then upon that request, God in a short seven verses gives him what would be an amazing, amazing prophecy. But we're going to spend some time looking at Daniel's prayer life, if you will. And let's begin reading now in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Daniel. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hashuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. But unto us confusion of faces is at at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges, that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hath brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hath gotten thee renown, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. For the Lord's sake, O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, as we've just read a magnificent prayer, an intercessory prayer from your magnificent servant, Daniel, expressing his humility, his servanthood, his love for you, his love for his people, love for your law. Father, may we catch a closer glimpse of what was in his heart. We would ask, Father, that you would clear away those distractions, those sins that so easily beset us for these moments before us, that we would be intimately and more closely than we've ever been before you. Father, I just confess my weaknesses as your servant today. I would ask that you would overcome those weaknesses, Father, and that your strength would be shown. Father, you are great. You are sovereign. You are mighty. You're an awesome God. Father, let us see you more clearly than ever before, but doing it exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for him and working in our hearts individually and also across this land in the church. Father, may we be receptive and yielding to him. And again, we yield to you for these moments, asking you to bless our hearts as we see you more clearly than ever before, because you are God, and we are looking at your word. Bless us because of you, in Christ's name, amen. Last week, we Daniel left us with, I'd like to read the last couple of verses. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, now this is actually uh, a vision that appeared to him while Babylon was still reigning. It tells us in chapter 8, verse 1, it was the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. But look at how Daniel was wiped out from that vision of the horns. The big horn, the little horn, and the last horn we spoke of in the last two weeks. It says in verse 26, The vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up, did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. You can see the intensity that Daniel was always in the sense of seeking God. When God spoke to him in a vision, 
prophetically speaking, and it's amazing to me, and the time frame in which Daniel was living, and we are still engaged, quite honestly, in the visions that were given to him today, 2,600 years later. And we're not done. We're not finished, which is mind-blowing to me. Chapter 9 of Daniel, it is... We, what, what normally happens, and that's what we, we want to be very careful not to do that today, because there's, and I think there's 27 verses, correct? Yeah, 27 verses, and usually what happens, because you're in such a, such a uh, should we say, a hype or a keyed up position that Daniel's, the last half of the book is all about prophecy. Really, most of it viewing into the Jewish people, those God's chosen people, and we want to rush through the verses that we just spent time reading, 1 through verse 19, and we want to cruise right into verse 20, and we want to dive into the 70 weeks and that prophetic message. And there is so much there in those seven verses that I'll just go ahead and admit it. It will be very shallow from my perspective because I can't see nearly as deeply as there is all that is there. But I do want us to take some moments because Daniel, for 19 verses, prayed that God would do what he saw in the book of Jeremiah. We'll look at that in a moment. But And then God answered by giving him seven short verses that literally defines the future of the nation Israel. And it is so rich, so overwhelming. But you know, we spoke of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 was, and he purposed in his heart. That's That's the first time you see Daniel as this young boy, 14 or 15 years of age, traveled probably eight or 900 miles, being swept up and carried away to a new land, And he decided to do the right thing. That's popular today, too, I might add. It's just as current today as it was 2,600 years ago. And I want us to capture really what I think is behind all of that in the fact Daniel was a man of prayer. And not just a man of prayer. We want to make sure that we see today, or at least attempt, with God's help, to see the elements of true intercessory prayer. Daniel, this, this, this chapter 9 of Daniel, the first 19 verses, is probably the greatest picture that we have, certainly in the Old Testament, and probably overall, in the sense of what we would see as elements of an intercessor. Someone that was praying in regards to others. Intercessory prayer is something that we need in America today. I, I can't imagine that Daniel was more fit for where we are today. I, I, it's, it's, just, it's so impressed upon my heart. This is where we, as Christians and the church, need to be is right inside the sandals of Daniel. The things that he saw as important, the things that he made important to him, the uncompromising lifestyle, all of those things are incredibly important for us today as we are entrenched in a worldwide war, which didn't just start yesterday, it's evil versus good. And it started a very long time ago. In fact, it literally happened in the Garden of Eden, at least with mankind, Adam and Eve, disobeying God. God always wants to bless those that are obedient. God always wants to bless those that are obedient. Should I say it one more time? No, you guys got it, right? You guys got it. That's God's desire. He does want to bless you. 
So let's talk about, well, first of all, let's talk about the time frame. This is the same time frame as chapter 6 of Daniel, where we found lion. I'm sorry, we're, the lions were in Daniel's den. We could have said it that way. But uh, he would have probably been about 80 or 81 years old. Daniel was well along in years. And the time frame of this would probably be 538, 539 B.C. So first year, it says of Darius, which it would be the same Darius we found. The name of a king, probably Cyrus, would be that king. So we're just going to put down 538 B.C. That's a long time ago. It says in verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, and there was a lot of Hashuaruses in the Persian kingdom, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Not only did they have their own Medo-Persia empire, but they would have conquered the Chaldeans. The Babylonian empire would have been encapsulated within this Medes and Persians. The second empire that Dave, I'm sorry, David, Daniel would have seen, and also that even Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed back in chapter 2. Now, Again, Daniel being, I'm not even sure. Do you remember why Daniel got in the den of the lions? What was the deal? Did he say something to the wrong person? Did he, was he, did he have a character flaw? Did he lie to somebody? Was he, was he corrupt? Was he colluding with the Medes and Persians? Was he, you guys can lighten up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it lighter here, but, but you're not doing well. He prayed. As his normal self. Three times a day, he bowed before his God. Morning, noon, and night. And in the morning, I'm, I'm assuming from what was gone there, in the morning they made this decree that anybody that prays to anybody other than this same guy that we find in chapter 9, verse 1, this same guy, chapter 6, that's the same year. Talk about a year that would have been woe for Daniel. That would have been that one. Yeah, do you remember last year? I was in the den of lions. <laughs> do you remember last year I had this fantastic vision that God gave me when I was literally fasting and praying I'm getting the impression for days. This wasn't a 15-second prayer. God, no, it, was, it lasted for a long period of time. He was in fervency for these issues before him. Think of that year. <laughs> wow. The year climaxes. Yeah, that's the Daniel that we're talking about. Now, it says in verse 2, and I'm wondering if this isn't, just thinking about this, now, it's amazing, a long ways from home. Do you know they had the scriptures? Did you know they actually had the scriptures in 538 B.C.? They certainly did. I'm curious as how he would have gotten them into that far away, but I'm convinced that even when they would have, what would be your precious, what would be something, if you've got a, a house fire, God forbid, or something of which you literally had to take off in an immediate hurry, what would you take with you? I'm convinced that Daniel and his friends took the books, as described in verse 2. The scrolls. In this case, he's reading from Jeremiah. Would the first thing that you would reach out for is your Bible? I've got a lot of them. I've got a couple of them that are wore out. I've got a couple of them that I can't even hardly... They're really fragile anymore, but those are the precious ones, aren't they? They've got all of those... All of those things. All of those things where God spoke to us, right? I'm convinced that Daniel and his buddies took those with them. 
Because I'm sure, guarantee you, I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar didn't say, oh, and don't forget the books. Of course not. The closer they would have gotten to God, the further they would have been away from the Babylonian lifestyle. But I find it remarkable, and I'm also certain of this. Daniel, when he engaged in reading the Word of God, this is the first point I want to see. There's eight elements today, whether we'll get through them or not, I don't know. There's eight elements of intercessory prayer. These aren't necessarily characteristics of it. You don't, you don't tie in to do these. This is just when you see an intercessor, when you see an intercessory prayer taking place, these are things of that prayer that are evident that are there. Okay? The first one, let's again, let's, let's just find where we're at, 538 B.C. We've already spoken of that. Uh, Darius is the king. It's the first year. Um, in verse 2, it says, I, Daniel understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So in his reading of the word of God, let's go back to Jeremiah. Let's look at what he read, part of the reading of that particular day. This was just a day in Daniel's life on that 538 or 539 B.C. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah would have been a contemporary. He would have been the last prophet to warn the nation of Judah before they were taken off into Babylon to forsake their sins. Jeremiah chapter 25, and let's look now at verses 11 and 12. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. This is what Daniel read. Now, this is cool. This is really cool. Think of this. Just think of, of when God said, I will never... My word will go on forever. What year are we in? Go ahead and say it. 538 before Christ. Daniel is going to read the same words as we are reading today. (laughs) Doesn't that do your heart good? That's how God's word is. Now, of course, he would have been reading it out of the Hebrew. But nonetheless, he's reading Jeremiah chapter 25, and at least to us, Jeremiah 25, verse 11 and 12. This whole land, watch, here we go, shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. Now, if you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10, it literally says the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Now you're going to start to see why Daniel's excited. Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Now you see, Daniel's been hanging around in Babylon and now the first year of the Medes and Persians. He's probably in his 65, 67 years. Now again, I'm not going to say that he's never read this before, but there was a sense of fervency. There was a sense of passion that now rises up within him when he's reading this during his prayer time, during his reading the word time. I'm going to tie that together in just a moment. And he sees, whoa, whoa. The book says in 70 years, 
the Babylonians will fall and the Jews will be able to go home. What year are we in right now? And what is significant about that year in regardless to our te- regarding our text? It's the first year of who? The Medes and Persians. You see, chapter 25, verse 11, 12 talks about the fact after 70 years, the Babylonians would be crushed, be desolate. And Daniel now is reading that from what he certainly would have believed, the word of God, trusted it implicitly, and he's got to feel, we are right on the cusp of being able to go home. Now, we know Daniel never did. But it's interesting, again, for me. Sometimes, and this, I, in no way today, if this comes across as me being critical of your prayer life, please disregard that. I have just, no, no, way more issues in my own life of how I need to be better at praying. So don't take, that is not my intention. But how many times do we, I'm going to use that same word, we're going to look at that in a while too. Daniel was a we guy. Did you notice that? He didn't talk a lot about I. He was we, especially when he was in intercessory prayer. How many times do we go to prayer and it's a whole lot about me, myself, and I? It happens a lot, doesn't it? Way more than it should. Way more than it should. Daniel is seeing this vivid picture in his mind of God going to bring some sense of finality and he would have to say, it's got to be right around the corner. It's almost like we get right now If you don't think we're close to the rapture, you're not reading your Bible very much. The first element of intercessory prayer is this. Intercessory prayer is generated by reading the Word of God. Did you see what it did to him? Now watch, in just one verse, it says he he was in the book... He read Jeremiah chapter 20. It doesn't say that, but it says in Jeremiah that the 70 years will come to him. And guess what he does next? <laughs> Let's read it in verse 3. The next thing he says. I set my face, verse 3, unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there. And what would we say? I know, I know someone in this, in this group. Uh, several weeks ago, I said, tell me about Daniel. And and they said something that I I still remember. He was a man of prayer. That is really the key component of Daniel. That's what made Daniel who he was. He was a man of prayer. Now, prayer. Let's speak of that today. If I was going to ask you here or anyone within a range of my voice, how many feel that you pray enough? The last week you say, my prayer life was fantastic. There's no way that I could be any better. Please don't raise your hand because we'll have to talk afterwards. Right? We all would say, oh, there's, it, you know, in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, I believe it is, pray without ceasing. What does that look like? I call them whisper prayers. Whisper prayers. All day long. All day long. That's right. In fact, I think of, you know, when I think of whisper prayers, I like that actually. I call them a bullet prayers, okay? It's like, boom, I got to talk to God right now. <laughs> Nehemiah in chapter 1, you just read in your notes, we're not going to go there, but Nehemiah chapter 1, and he is the cupbearer for the king. And someone comes in from the homeland, from Israel, and tells him things are terrible. And he's wearing that. 
And when the king, if you're the cupbearer and you look sad, that's a good way to have your last day on earth. They don't like that much. They don't like that much. And the king says, what's wrong? And he, it was like he, he prayed. It says he prayed. And he just, it was like this bullet prayer or this, what did you call it? A whisper prayer. It's, it's just like under your breath. But you know what? It's that close. That's what's really cool. Once you have given your life to God, when you've surrendered, when you've yielded who you are to Jesus Christ and accepted that grace, that package that is yours, not because of who you are, what you've done, it literally is yours because Jesus Christ paid for it. And when you're in that position, you can have whisper prayers. You can have bullet prayers. And you can have all day long prayers. I have to tell this story. It just warmed my heart today. I saw it. First time I've come across it. I was going to use it at the end, but it just keeps banging in my head. Prayer sometimes is just like D.L. Moody had a young son. He was thought to be probably five or six years old. And on this particular day, D.L., as was custom to him, as he was in his study, deeply entrenched. He had his books around him, and he's studying. You know the picture, right? Deeply in thought. And this little boy opens the door, walks in, and sits down. Doesn't say a word. Now, you know what D.L. is doing. He's... Nobody says anything for a while. Finally, D.L. can't stand it anymore. What do you want? <laughs> and I'm sure it was just about like that, right? Listen, listen, listen to this answer. This is exactly what it is sometimes for us in prayer, especially if we, the only, the only, by the only way, the, only, the first prayer that God wants to hear from you is, I confess that I'm a sinner and I repent. That's the first prayer. That's the only prayer God hears. That's the first one. Once you're there, you're in. And this little boy said this to, to his father. He said, nothing, Daddy. I just want to be where you're at. That's what prayer is. I just want to be where God's at. Isn't that good? It is so good. That is exactly what prayer is. Now, too often prayer is this, gimme, 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 gimme. God, I need... I, the kind of the, the genie, forgive the example, but you get three wishes. Is that our perspective of God? Oh, let's hope not. Let's hope not. And, and when, as we're youngsters growing up, we see that verse, ask what you will, and it will be given unto you. There's a whole lot of things that have been asked outside of the will of God. Isn't that very true? Nothing, Daddy. I just want to be where you're at. That's what prayer is. That's what Daniel's prayer was. In fact, he sees this fantastic truth in the book of Jeremiah that says in 70 years, the desolations will end and we got to go home. First thing he does, he drops to his knees. You know, I'm wondering if this wouldn't even been somewhat of the passion. Remember, what did I say? Uh, Daniel chapter 6. This is the year that he ends up in the den of lions. Can you see how fervent? Oh, that's another. I'm sorry, I gave one away. But you didn't hear that. Think of Daniel's intercessory prayer. He couldn't stay away from being in his father's presence, just like we should. And it's not just three times a day. It's all day long. How many times have you woken up at night? The best place to be is right away reach out. I want to be with God. 
I want to talk to God about someone else. That, you know what's amazing of those come to your mind? It's amazing. All week long, I think it was every single day this week, someone at just the right time would come to my mind. I'd either text them, I would call them, or I'd pray for them. That's not by accident. That is God working in us to bring all things together for his glory. First one is, intercessory prayer is generated by reading God's word. And unless you understand the word of God, we couldn't possibly understand his purposes or his plans. So to guide our prayer, we need to read his word. Submitting ourselves to the plan. Turn to uh, Psalm chapter 119. That's a chapter that you can almost open up and find it on several pages. Psalm 119, and let's look at verses 24 and verse 99. You'll see the same idea here of the Word of God driving us to prayer. Psalm 119, verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. That, those words, his words, thy testimonies. Verse 99. Turn over to verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I can't begin to tell you how many times, and maybe you as well, sometimes it's just one verse in your, in your reading or, or your devotional. One verse just smacks you right square, and you, that's enough. You just set it down, and you want to pray about it. You want to thank God for showing that to you. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, that's a delight. That nugget that's just showing up, and it's right there, and you, oh, that's enough. That's enough. It's like, you know, because if you, you can't carry them all home, you got this first, this really cool gold nugget, and thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. That must have been one of those nuggets that Daniel must have found on that day. Because it says he didn't read anything else particularly, just that in 70 years that the desolations of Jerusalem would be behind him. I want you to show, I want, the other thing is, uh, let's see, is this the right time for this or not? Um, oh yeah, I think we, let's talk about it for a moment. Okay, now this is, this is how, so easy to get into this mindset. Let's go back now. And Daniel, he's 538 BC. He's read from Jeremiah that there's 70 years and then we got to go home. Now, that's in God's Word, right? How many believe what happens in God's Word happens? Zoom. Everybody's head. I just saw everybody's hand go up because it's just what happens, right? Okay. So, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Stop. Stop for just Time out. Why is Daniel praying about that? Isn't that mean it's done? We've talked about it. Almost every week we're here. God is in control. God owns it. It's his. He wins. You know, when I book, read the book of Revelation, and, and there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen, you get to the very end, you get to chapters 21 and 22, and you say, oh, my word, glory be to God. To him, glory forever and ever and ever. Eternal life is, I can't describe it for you, but it never ends because of what Jesus did. You get to the end, and you say, that is so fantastic. Do you believe that's going to happen? Yeah, you do. So, so my question, do you see where I'm going with this? Why did Daniel pray about something that God's going to do? Ultimately, that's correct. Daniel prayed 
to get his heart, to get his will, to get his purpose, to get everything that Daniel was in line with God's will. See, prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. Now, God loves to hear from you. How many times do you think he'd like to hear from when you didn't show up for prayer? (laughs) A lot. He loves to have you in his company. Think of that for a moment, though. Daniel breaks out in prayer. Do you know he asked God to do something? Those 19 verses, and this is a trick question because I don't expect you to actually understand this. Daniel asked God to do one thing in one word, and it broke out of the fact the number one element of intercessory prayer is it's generated by reading the word of God. You'll find it in verse 19. Do you know what he, told, what he asked God to do? Do it. <laughs> I want you to do it. That's why today, one of the things we as intercessors, and there's a bunch of verses that literally would guide us into who we should be praying for. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul prayed for all of the Israelites that they would be saved. We should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for the world. We should be praying for those leaders. That, that, and this, this is a woeful, I'm woefully short of this. It's so easy for me to see evil in others. It is, isn't it? David. David was really good at And I don't want to, I'm going to pick on David because it, he's the perfect example because he falls in exactly. David was guilty of sin of murder, adultery, lying. I mean, it was, it, it was extensive. It was extensive. And you know what? Here comes Nathan, the prophet, and his job was to appear before the king, which, now think of that for a moment. How much, how many rights, how much power does a king have? All. (laughs) He is the authoritarian. And Nathan's job was to tell David that he was a sinner. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) This should be easy. But he comes up with a story. And you all know this story. You don't, don't you? You do. But did you notice as he told this story about this poor man that had one ewe lamb that was just like family. And a rich guy went and stole the one little lamb away from the poor man. And what did David say? <laughs> he was furious. I'm going to make that guy pay. And what did Nathan do? <laughs> you are that man. And all of a sudden, David, all of that came back to him. And Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 were written. You should write those down. Psalm 32 and 51 were written by David during this time of true repentance, truly asking God for forgiveness because it had busted through because Nathan, I'm sure, was interceding for David. See what we could do? Do you see what could happen? There's a, there's a person. I'm going to just go ahead and name. There's two, pe- there's two people that have come across my radar. One was last week, and you know what? I, I failed to pray for her this week. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Guilty as charged. This week, and I'm going to ask you that you hold me accountable next week. And, of course, I will have to answer, and you're going to have depend on my truthfulness. But next week, I want you to ask if I prayed for Nancy Pelosi and for Kamala Harris. That's right. That's exactly right. Because it says in the scriptures, doesn't it? 
Now, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to say, I fa- I came, last week, last Sunday, Kamala came on my, on my view. I was going to mention it last Sunday afternoon. And I didn't, and I didn't, and I, I, I don't, but I want you to hold me accountable. Next week, I'm going to, you guys go ahead and ask me, because they need Jesus. Jesus saves. And so often, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, it's not about people and people's names. It's good versus evil. And what does Ephesians chapter 2 said? We are dead. <laughs> Those two people and many numerous more, somewhere along the line, have allowed evil to take place. But we need to intercede for all mankind. Now, here's the other part. It's so easy for us. See, I've kind of gotten away from this train of thought I was on. Let me try to finish that one because I want to come back to it. But literally, Daniel, in seeing those words, breaks away and reaches out to God. There's another example I was going to use. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Getting, getting behind what God is doing. That's, what, that's really what it is. Let's get in line with God. I want to go where he's at. How many times have I prayed, God, I... I just pray, when I want your will to be done, but I would really like you to do this. And then we say, I prayed about it. Have you heard it? I prayed about it. Wait a minute. What what did your prayer say? Where were you at? Where was your will in regards to this? Prayer isn't about changing God's will. Let me say that one more time. Prayer isn't about changing God's will. One more time. You still don't get it. Praying isn't about changing God's will. It's changing us. To fit God's will. And everybody said, go home. (laughs) Amen, right? That's what it's about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We all have, by the way. We all have. Because we think we know what's best for us. Is that too loud? I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) We need to pray... For God's will, which we know is his best for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is real because God's involved. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Two things stick out to me right No, I was going to tell you this. Got to go with it. Got to go here right now. Let's go to Revelation. Walk another guy that locks in to what God has said is going to happen. Go all the way back to Revelation chapter 22. Who was the man that penned the words to Revelation? John. John the Apostle. Or he's become, as a result of it, John the Revelator. John penned these words. Look now to the very end. These are Jesus' words. The very last two verses. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Before you do that, just think of the book of Revelation. Just think of the complexity of it and all that John has seen and heard, the messages to the churches, and then from there it gets, launches out into this. Can you imagine what, it, what he feels like? Lord Jesus. That is exactly in one verse the picture that Daniel is literally saying. Just what you, just what you said you're going to do, Lord God, I want to pray that you do that. I want to get on board with you. 
What does amen mean? The only reason I'm thinking about it, I read it right now, and I'm thinking of what some guy, so be it. May it be. May it be. And did you hear someone that's so shallow in Congress a week or two ago that actually ended the prayer in a woman? Missed it. Missed it. Missed it. And he was supposedly a pastor. Missed it. Do you, see, do you see how far we are away from the truth? How far we're away from God? Do you see it? We should be praying fervently. Ferociously. How do you like that word? When's the last time you prayed ferociously? I said, Larry, that doesn't even sound right. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because Daniel was fervent. Fervent in prayer. He was all over it. Do you have that kind of energy? Sometimes I'm too weak. I'm too quick. I'm too passe. I'm too, God will take care of it. You see, it's really easy for us today to say, well, God's in control. It'll all happen. It'll all work out. Now, see, if that was what Daniel believed, we wouldn't have verses 3 through 19. We wouldn't be able today, in the year 2021, be able to look at eight elements of intercessory prayer because Daniel wouldn't have sought necessary to get involved with what God was going to do. Did you see that? That's how important intercessory prayer is. Let's keep going. You say, how are you going to get through eight? We're not going to probably, but that's okay. Another one that you can write down, we're not going to go there. Uh, it's in my notes, but go to Ezra chapter 9 and verse 4. You can read that passage of Scripture. This is literally when they went back into the land that they had been chased out of. This was what Daniel was praying for, and it actually happened. But look at how God used that man, Ezra, as they read the Word of God. It drove them into humility. Let's go back now to Daniel chapter 9. And prayer is generated by reading God's Word but is also grounded in God's will. Prayer is grounded in God's will. Verse 3, it says, I set my face, this is Daniel chapter 9, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fastings and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them, that love him and to them that keep his commandments. He opens up this prayer time in a way that is first and foremost is to make sure that it's grounded in God's will. He's identifying with God's will. He's lining up his heart with God's will. I want, I want to show you something, and I had not seen this. Let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and this is the episode in which the Israelites, who had they been led by as they came out of Egypt? Who led them out of Egypt? Okay, that was true, but I'm looking beyond Moses. Who led them out of Egypt? God did. Who did they look to as being their leader, their guide? And Moses would be the physical person, but how, who led them around? God did. He really did. He literally led them. He provided for them. And now think of this. this. This whole episode right here is surrounding the fact that the Israelites lived in a lot of neighbors. There's a lot of neighbors. And what did all those neighbors have? 
They had kings. <laughs> and so Israel says, you know what? We want us a king. We want a king. We want a king just like everybody else. How would you think that made God feel? Oof. Oof. You know what's happening in America today? We've thrown God out for government. It's become a capital G. God has become a small g. Would you not see it as a trade? We'll give up anything to get what we are entitled to, whatever that is. They gave up God for a king. So they got a tall, dark, and handsome loser. I'm sorry, that's just what the Bible even says. Well, not quite that way, but let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to dial in to verse 19. Now, what's happened is they've asked for this king to reign over them, and Samuel has gotten after them, and he told them, this is what's going to happen. And they were convicted. In verse 19, it says, And all the people said unto Samuel, this is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask us a king. It's like this, rep, this realization of what they've just done is they've kicked God out for a king. How does Samuel respond? Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, you have done all of this weak wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. That is a great verse to understand. Even when you've messed up, you've lost your way, you've fallen down, you've sinned, whatever it is, you know what Samuel would tell you? He would tell you the same thing. Yes, you did that, but turn towards God and keep on obeying. That's the best thing you could possibly do. Okay? They've asked him to pray for them. Verse 21, And turn you not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Why will he not forsake them? Because it's his sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now watch verse 23. This is really interesting. Moreover, as for me, this is Samuel speaking, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Hello? Did that grab you? Did you feel you had to have the gift of intercessory prayer? No. <clears throat> this is a responsibility for every single Christian. Praying for others. Now, did Samuel do it? Of course he did. But did you see how serious he took it? I'm sure he and Daniel would have been on the same page. He would have been on the same page. Prayer is grounded in God's word. Never pray for God to change His will. We wouldn't want anything that He doesn't want to give us. The third, let's go back to Daniel and let's read verse 3 again. Daniel chapter... How come Daniel disappeared out of my Bible? There it is. Verse 3. I set my face... What do you mean I set my face? What does that look like? What, is, what do you mean set my face? He set my face. Yeah. 
Let's, I'm going to show you what it wouldn't be like. Let's see. Um, wow, time's getting away from us. Um, quick, honey, do you have a cup of coffee? i got to drink this. Lord God, thank you for the day. Bless everybody and see you around later. Is that setting your, fa- your face toward God? No. No, it's so bad. It can't, it's hard for me to even say it that way, isn't it? Because what would have we just done? Ritualistically just throwing something out there and then ask God to bless it. No, he said he set his face toward the Lord God. Now, that word for Lord God is Adonai. Adonai. To honor the most awesome, sovereign God. Not just God, it's Adonai. The reigning, ruling, omnipotent, sovereign God. Do you see how that would be different? Do you see how flippantly I give that just a little... I almost... It makes me cringe to think how sometimes we're so quick to, quote, pray. That's not fervency. That's what we really want to get at. Intercessory prayer is based on fervency. Fervency. Give me another word for fervency. That's a word we don't use a lot of. In other words, uh, how many of you used the word fervency this last week? I don't see a lot of hands going up. Fervency. What, what's another word for fervency? Fever. Excuse me? Fever. Fever, okay. In a good way, right? Not the sick kind of a fever, but the, a feverish approach. What else? Intense. Intense. There's another word I love. I just love this word. I, I, I tell it to my kids. I tell it to those that work for me. There's, and, and if I come engaged and I'm counseling, I'm whatever. This is a word I really want. Find where you're passion is become passionate about it you know what daniel was passionate about this right here he was passionate are you passionate about your prayers and again don't 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 think i'm trying to put you on a guilt trip this is as much for larry he took a beating at home when i was studying this right okay we need to be passionate about our prayer life we need to be serious. You know what I've have to do? It's, as bad as this is, my memory has gotten to the point. I'll have people that have prayer requests. I can't remember them. I need to really literally write them down right away and carry them around. And that's okay, isn't it? It's okay. <laughs> that has been the, that's been the best words I've heard today. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. The good thing about prayer life is it can get better. Right? <laughs> How was that? That wasn't too bad, was it? Um, One of the things, and think about Daniel. This isn't just a last-minute thing. Now, obviously, when he sees, whoa, can you imagine? Look at this. 70 years. I've been here like 67. This thing is so close. I cannot believe it. And it wasn't like he just turned his passion on at that time. No, let's go back to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 and watch him fervent in another picture. And you know this, but let's read it again. At Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, what had just happened is they just got this, this decree, this petition, that anybody that prayed to anyone other than Darius for a month would be thrown in the den of lions. Verse 10. Just knowing that, it just, just happened that morning. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened into his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. That's passion. That's passion, even as an approach. Do you see the boldness? Now, the last thing I really like about him is he wasn't a loud, boisterous boldness. Those are sometimes obnoxious, aren't they? This, this was a humble boldness, not backing down for any reason, because I'm God. 
and God's number one, for all time, for all reasons. I'm not backing off. That's bold passion in a humble way. That's really what trans, uh, intercessory prayer looks like. It's fervent. It's fervent. But also look at what goes with it. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9, and let's look at these other things that he speaks of. Not only is there passion, persistence, and fervency, and intensity, but there's pictures of humility as well. I set my face unto the Lord God, unto Adonai, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. All three of those are literally a picture for us of humility. You can find them scattered across the scriptures. In Job, remember, he was about as in as much pain ridden as you could possibly be. Remember, he put sackcloth and ashes on. If you go to where Jonah um, preached to the Ninevites, now that's an interesting thing. See, God always wants to bless those that obey him. Think of that. Now, Nineveh, he'd said to Jonah, go and speak against them because I'm going to destroy them. There's probably a million, two that lived in that, in that city. He said, I'm going to destroy them. They're just so godless. I'm done. I'm sober. And Jonah, loving that message, after he was convinced that it was him that needed to go, that took a little doing. It was like a delay, you know, time delay, right? And then the way, and then it was interesting. See, he went the opposite direction. If you find actually where the whale, the big fish, actually put him back up on the land, it was like he went back the right way and was on the right continent for him to go to Nineveh. And then he says, now, Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. I wasn't going to. (laughs) And for three days, he travels across Nineveh saying, repent or God will destroy you. Enjoying every moment of that, too. He hated them. He was absolutely... Appalled. And you know what they did? From the very highest leaders all the way down, they repented and put on sackcloth and ashes. What does that mean? Intense humility. Intense humility. Fasting. Now, anyone that tells me that they fasted to pray, they've lost it. Fasting is something that's between you and God. For you to be so passionate, so fervor. Okay, that's not the right way. To be, to be so fervent, there we go, and so passionate that, you know what? You went right through a meal. Never even thought about it. That's fasting that is focused and fervent, and literally that is humility as well. You see it? That's intercessory prayer. That's an element of intercessory prayer, being so tuned in. Look at this now. Let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and let's look at verse 16. This is a verse that many of you know very well. But sometimes we get the wrong impression of what it means. James chapter 5 and verse 16. We usually want to read the last part, and it says this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But did you see the first part of verse 16? Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. There's a sense of humility right there. Praying for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What, what is availeth much? What, is, what, is, what does that mean? Okay, it accomplishes a lot. And what would that, what does that look like? What, what do you think that accomplishes? What does it, what does it accomplish? You know what happens when we really pray with that kind of effectual, fervent prayer? Is the availeth much is we change a lot. God doesn't change. 
Others don't change. We change. Isn't that usually what happens when uh, one of the things that, and it's a struggle. I've had people actually in this room that were so bound, so overwhelmed with a bitterness against someone. And I said, I'll tell you what, this is what God would have you to do. If you want to break, and if you're serious, this is what you really want to do. You want to get over it, this is what you do. Then you pray with sincerity for that person that hurt you. That's not easy. But you know what happens when you do that? It changes you. It changes me. There's an individual who said, <laughs> I met with him three different times. He said, I cannot do that. I said, well, that's great because that doesn't surprise me. It will have to be God that enables you to be able to do that. But will you have him allow you to do that? He couldn't do it. And to my knowledge today, he's still as bitter as he could possibly be. And you know what, you know what bitterness kills? Us. It's a slow drip of death within us. Bitterness is poison. But when we pray for that person or persons, or when we're really fervently, effectually praying, we change. We get more in tune with what God wants us to be. Do you see why Daniel's such a cool guy? God was conforming him one image, or one, one moment at a time. Well, we got through three. Let's go to verse four. <clears throat> What's he going to pray? I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. Whoa, made my confession? What's that got to do with anything? Wait a minute. I thought Daniel's this guy that, and by the way, do you know, can, you, can you tell me of a sin that is described for us in Scripture about Daniel? No, there isn't one. There's two people in Scripture of which no sin is ascribed, not to say they're sinless, obviously, because you see from this, this allows us to see inside what Daniel saw in his own heart. He saw a sinful heart. But there's two people, Daniel and Joseph. Those are two cool guys, aren't they? They're fantastic. You know, how, how, you'd have a group of brothers that sold you into slavery, and at the end their father dies, and they say, oh, 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 Joseph, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, dad said to kind of forgive us, and, you know, we, you know, I just, you know, well, you can just see it. There's some old, you know, you know what, you know how I responded? I'd say, you just wait. No, that's not what he said. He said what? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He was able to be at the high end of that and be able to see, you know what? No matter what happens, God can make it for our good. And he did. Isn't that an amazing story? The Joseph story? That's amazing. To watch him being sold into slavery. He's done the right thing. He ends up in jail. But at just the right time, God be able to snatch him out, stand him in front of Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh the dream. And Pharaoh says, you know, I don't think there's a smarter man in the kingdom than that guy right there that just stepped out of prison about five minutes ago. I think we're going to make him the emperor. Or, I'm sorry, the, the prime minister. And that, And you're like... What? And you say there's not a God? Are you kidding me? You play the Joseph story back and forth a couple of times and you say there's not a God? You have a problem. That's amazing. And he fulfilled it beautifully. Beautifully. God raised up that nation of Israel to a large number of people. They were there for 400 years, plus or minus. God leads them out to where he's going to go. All because one man, this teenager again, did you see that? And Joseph, I would have to say the same thing, purposed in his heart. Not to defile his God. How many times would have I given up? <laughs> I think it would have been after Potiphar's wife came, right? She accuses me falsely. Potiphar throws me in the slammer. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, God? What, what, what did I do wrong? Right? No. 
It said he even has a cheerful heart amongst the prison. They, he cheered up the prisoners. That's an intercessor. That's someone that stepped outside of me, myself, and I, looking for ways to impact others. Whew. Prayer is, intercessory prayer is realized in self-denial. It's realized in self-denial. He got rid of any ego right at the beginning. It's easy, as I've said before, to pray for those that we see evil and sin in, but watch what he says. We're just going to cruise through this. Watch carefully. I made my confessions and said, Oh, Lord, the great and dreadful God, that the awesome God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Did you see the first word of verse 5? What does it say? We. We. Verse 6, and neither have we hearkened. Um, Verse 7, but unto us, verse 8, to us belongeth confusion of faces. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, we haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord. Did, Did you see that? You know, that'll change you too. As you pray for America, as you pray for people across this world, and when you confess sins as a joint group, in other words, it's not just about me. We truly have sinned. And we as Americans, we have dreadfully sinned. We have a sin by the sense of omitted doing things that we knew to be right. Intercessory prayer is being honest with God, truly being honest. Self-denial. Do you remember there's a prayer? Uh, let's see if we can find it. Let's go back to Luke 18. Maybe take me a moment. But Luke chapter 18. And somebody may just... Um, yeah, we'll find it in verse 10. Verse 10. Actually, verse 11. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Now, let's see. Does this, is this, does this sound like Daniel? Verse 11, chapter 18 of Luke. The Pharisee stood... Are you all there? Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Does that sound like Daniel's prayer? Do you think God heard that prayer? No, there's nothing there. It's it's just fluff. Because who was he talking about? Himself. Himself. He didn't need God. He was literally putting on a show, going down the street. And and it was interesting if if in that time and frame, you know, morning, noon, and night, they would set it up so they'd be out on the street at just the time to pray, so that they could look really cool and they could lie, they could they could kneel on the knees and then pray out loud like that, and everyone was impressed, except God which is really, that's what it's important. Do you see the difference? That's really what I was trying to bring you to is intercessory prayers realized in self-denial. And along with it, it's also identified with God's people. You've seen the we and us and not the I and me. And get me out of the picture. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6 verse 2. Get this desire that God has as we look to others, as we help 
lift up. Galatians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Identifying with others. You find it in Philippians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Even in Romans chapter 9, Paul is praying for all of the Israelites. Secret of intercession, literally. This, if you want one word, a secret of intercession, get rid of I and inject we. When you start using the we word and the us word, then you become representative of the whole body of Christ. You'll see a sensitivity to sin. Uh, you watch in, back in Daniel chapter 9, he says in verse 5, let's, let's look at verse 5. It's actually repetitive throughout those 16 verses. Verse 5, we have sinned. Watch, there's four, there are four things he says. We have sinned, we've committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, and have rebelled. Okay? There's four things that, he's, that he unpacks for us in the sense of, Sin. First of all, what is sin? If, if you were going to describe sin to someone, let's say somebody walked up to you. I doubt it, but if somebody walked up to you in downtown Sheridan or Twin Bridges and said, Sir, could you tell me? I was just curious. What is sin? It's not going to happen probably. But what would, what would you say? Missing the, Missing the mark. That's exactly right. You, you just you, you can't get there. I've used this at, at different services, particularly to those that maybe they don't get across the word sin very often, to miss the mark. In fact, I like that better because the word sin is almost off limits now. You don't want to use that word. That's too racist. No, it probably isn't, but it's isn't, racist is everything else in the world today, isn't it? So it maybe is. It's racist. See that ist on there? just sounds terrible. But anyway, it would be like, how many of you have seen the Grand Canyon? Man, it's pretty glorious, isn't it? It's an amazing. And, it, and obviously, it's different at different places. I've flown over it. Uh, Lisa and I were able to see it in, what should we say, in the real deal. It's impressive. It's impressive. Now, for instance, now this is, God says there's only, this, this is how you get to heaven. It's real simple. This is not hard. You have to jump the Grand Canyon. Never going to make it, are you? Okay. So, now you see how we as mankind have looked at this. And this is, what I, this is always the message that I'm trying to get across when I speak to a group like that. Is to get to heaven, to get to God, let's even say it that way, you have to, you, not anybody else, you have to span the Grand Canyon. Now here's what we do. We get on our coolest tennis shoes, our best athletic clothes, streamlined everything, and we get ready, and we go as far as we can. And, of course, you know you're going to fall short. But we made it 121.9 feet. Now, the guy that was behind me, he only made it 90 feet. So I win. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's falling short. It's missing the mark. One sin it's all the same. You see, and we'd all end up in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, different 
feet apart from one another, the same result, very dead. And there's only one way for us, literally. You know who's the intercessor that spanned the Grand Canyon? Jesus Christ. You have to take the Jesus way to get to God. That's the only way you can get there. Thank God. Because <laughs> that's, you know, and for you that have seen the Grand Canyon, it's intimidating. It's like, no. <laughs> There's just no way. It's so intimidating, there's no way. And that's exactly, really, literally what sin is, missing that mark so far. It's not even close. And then, I remember there was a, um, I'll just say there was a, a missionary from a cult that showed it many years ago. I've maybe told some of you this story. But it was interesting to me how, how we want to rate sins. Rate, R-A-T-E, rate sins. In other words, there's, there's those that are higher up, you know, like... Murder. What's that? Yeah, really bad sin. In fact, like like murder or adultery or whatever you want to say. Those are the big ones, right? And I'm going to cut through this chase because I'm already losing. My time is just flying away. And so I gave a couple of examples of that. And he said, oh, no, there's, no, there's just absolutely no way you could get to heaven if you committed those sins. There's just absolutely no way. Even you, you have to do your part. I said, really, what part did you need to do that Jesus didn't accomplish? Well, we just have to, you know, and there was something. There was some work somewhere, some way to work your way somewhere. And I said, well, just a minute. I said, what if you told today a tiny little white lie? That's different. I said, is it? James chapter 2, verse 10. And he had his Bible. And I said, flip it open to James 2.10 and read that for me. For if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. And he took like three steps back. I can't even go back. And... I said, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I said, it's really important for you right now to figure that out. And he just turned around and left. And I still pray for him. Because that's what it's all about. It doesn't matter if it's a little bitty sin or a really big hefty sin. You're guilty of all of it. You've missed the mark. That's kind of like the 10 foot versus the 90 foot. Can't get there. We needed that intercessor. We needed that one to bridge the gap. See, that's what we're doing for America and for our world and humankind and the leaders and all of us. When we're intercessor, when we're giving intercessory prayer, is we're literally gapping, giving them opportunity, praying that God would reach down. That's what Daniel did. He did it. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 19 is amazing. But let's look. Now, so sin is missing the mark. Iniquity. Did you see that second one? Let's go back to verse 5. We sinned. We've committed iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity. That's a bigger word for sin, isn't it? It's a fancier word. It would mean to distort or to act perversely. To act perversely. And I think of that just not only missing the mark, going the opposite direction, if you will. Okay? Not even, not even wanting to go the right way. He said, we've sinned and we've committed iniquity. And then it goes on, it says again, and have done wickedly. Wickedly. Iniquity is to act perversely. To distort or to act perversely. Now, sin sometimes is the fact that we're trying, we just fall short. Iniquity is literally distorting or to act perversely. We're not even heading for the right direction. And then wickedly is to do something wrong that you know is wrong. Think of that. How many times have we done that? Don't raise your hands. Stop. Don't raise your hand. But how many times have we done something wrong that we knew it was wrong before we did it? 
Oh, right. That's called premeditated sin. Premeditated wickedness. And that's why the word is wicked. You knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. Or should I say, I did it. I mean, this isn't about, it's us, right? We're back to this thing. I'm, a, I'm an intercessory for all of us today. I mean, we want to get this right. We want to get better at it. Wickedness. To premeditate something we know is wrong, but we do it anyway. Rebelled. That was the fourth one. How are you doing? How do you like these words? Aren't these words a little bit descriptive? Kind of covers our whole life, kind of, isn't sin, iniquity, wicked? And then it rebelled. Tell me about rebellion. Rebel. Has, have you known anybody that rebelled? See, I knew that was good. that's why I asked the question. Teenagers, they take the beat, don't they? What, what does a teenager do? That, what's rebellion? What is rebellious behavior? But do you, do you, know, what, do you know what God said about God said something to uh, Samuel. Let's go back to the big, tall, dark, handsome loser. His name was Saul. Okay, And Saul, he was guilty of rebellion. God said this. Rebellion is worse than witchcraft. Now, what do you think God thought of witchcraft? He was not happy about witchcraft, nor was he happy. In fact, rebellion, he said, was worse than anything else. Rebellion is literally to defy authority. When God says something, and see, that's where we're at in America today. See, probably back in the 50s, and I don't know, it, it, it all started back in the Garden of Eden. That's where sin started. That's where it's all come from. But in America, it seems like when, we, when the, the, the veterans, those fathers and grandfathers came home from World War II, they wanted to make it better for their sons and daughters. They saw hell. They did. I mean, a war, war is hell. It really is. It's horrible. And they came home and then really, honestly, made it too easy for that generation. And then pretty soon, guess what? They were kind of spoiled brats. And rather than accept truth, they ignored it. That's the first step. They ignored truth. Then the next generation, they weren't even really sus, sus, uh, part of it, so they resisted truth. Now, you see where we're at today? We can't even tell the difference between truth. That is rebellion on steroids. We are defying authority, and now actually Romans chapter 1 talks about it. We want to rebel with energy. Those are my words, paraphrasing. But nonetheless, that's exactly where we are as an America today. Why do we need intercessory prayer for our country? I would say that's really a key component for them to see their sin. That's one of the first things they need to see. You don't need a Savior until you know you need to get saved. Right? Sometimes we have to go through hard things to do the right thing. That's exactly what is going on. So what exactly is going on? Sinning, iniquity, wickedly, rebelling. But you know what we usually do? People blame God. They blame God. How long has that been going on? Because he wanted to be like God. Yeah. He thought he was God. He still does. Talk about believe a lie. <laughs> Think of that. See, do you see that? That's what pride and arrogance will do. It'll allow you to believe the biggest lies of all time. Satan believed the worst and the biggest, the most diabolical lie of all time, thinking that he could be like God. What a dummy. And he's a smarty, but he's a dummy. Adam and Eve. She takes a Fuji. Says it tastes good. I think Adam is just sitting there watching her. Not he's not intervening. He's not intervening. Not at all. He's not protecting his wife. 
And God had very clearly said, don't eat of that tree. And she said, honey, it tastes so good. And he did. And here comes God. Looking for their afternoon walk in the park, in the garden. Adam, where are you, buddy? What's going on? Seems like you're hiding. What's going on? As if God doesn't know, right? Have you tried hiding from God? It's like you, <laughs> he can't find me. He can't find me. Oh, yeah, he can. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly why you're there. He knows where you're going. He knows what, all of that. So he just won't come clean. Finally, well, I was, uh, um, well uh, yeah, we, well, we were naked. Oh, really? Who told you that? Um, it's your fault. It's the woman. <laughs> of course, he didn't say it was God's fault, did he? But he said it was the woman's fault. What did he just say? Because God brought him the woman and said, you're married now, Adam. This is Adam and Eve. You're married to Eve. She's bone of bone, flesh of flesh. She's yours. You're one. It's your fault, God. How many times have you heard people say that God is at fault for things that happen in their life? A lot. A lot. See, we're not willing to take responsibility for the consequences of sin. And there's a lot of it, isn't there? There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Blaming God for things that we're responsible for. Boy, I'll tell you what, Daniel wasn't that guy. He took responsibility. Let's not make God responsible for the consequences of sin. How many do you have? Are you guys writing these down? I should have written them down for you. Where are you at? Four? Oh, my goodness. I blew through a couple of them then. Okay, let's, let's review. We obviously need to review because I'm a couple ahead of you, okay? Okay, what do you have first? You have... Okay, intercessory prayer is generated by reading God's word. Intercessory prayer is grounded in God's will. Will, yep. Number three? Okay, fervency or passion. Number four? Yes, realizing self And there's one I kind of threw quickly in there because it almost ties together. The number fifth one is, number five is the fact it's identifying with God's people. It's when we include we and us and them. No, not them. Did you see it? That was tricky, wasn't it? Did you see how I did that? Oh, I'll say it one more time. When it's us and we, I'm included. If I say they and them, you see it? I've slipped out of, I slipped out of the circle. But when you make it inclusive... And we're all in this together. That's intercessory prayer. Number six. Number six. Intercessory prayer is strengthened by confession. I don't think I did give that one to you. We talked about it and I I said it without giving. Intercessory prayer is strengthened by confession. You see how what Daniel did? He spent most of his time confessing. The closer you get to God, the more you realize your sinfulness. You say, I don't really need a lot more of that. I, I realize I'm very sinful right now. But it's amazing what Daniel, the significant person he was with character of integrity and wholesomeness, and all of those things that made him what that was, was the fact that he was so close to God, so close to God, that he saw his sinfulness as just diabolical. He saw it so close. 
It was, he, he was so close to God that it was hard to be in the presence of sin. Do you see the difference? You're either in the presence of sin or you're in the presence of God. The closer and the more intimate you are with God's relationship, the less you can stand to be in sin. That's Daniel's secret. How are we doing for time? Laramie, what do you got? How many minutes are we in? Oh, excellent. All right. Well, we just will keep going then. I blew that one. Let's do a couple, a couple more quick ones. Um, it's dependent upon God's character. Did you see that in verse 4? He says that he made his confession. Oh, Lord, the great and dreadful God. He's lifting up and describing God as being that powerful, majestic, awesome, omnipotent, omniscient God. If you were praying to anyone less, what would that be? I don't want to pray to anybody less than that. I don't want to pray, I don't want to pray to anybody less than this God that is so mighty and majestic and wonderful and awesome and beyond anything that I can comprehend. That God is who I want to pray to. That God is the one that I want to be part of. If it's anything less than that, he's not God. He's not God. He's not God. Excuse me? Dependent on God's character. Intercessory prayer is dependent on God's character. And the last one is, we find in verse 16 through 19. I want, let's read this quickly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem. Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate because we're good people. No, what does it say? For the Lord's sake. Which verse 18. Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations. The city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. Verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. That's literally all he's asking of these 19 verses. Do it. Defer not. Don't do it. Don't not do it. Why? For thine own sake. Intercessory prayer consummates or is a complete in God's glory. God does it for his glory. He does it because he receives the glory. I want to close with two things. I want you to first, well, actually, there's three things, actually. Let's go to Acts chapter 12, and let's look at an example, an example of intercessory prayer. I want, to see, I want you to see this. <clears throat> Verse 5 of Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That is intercessory prayer. The whole church prayed for Peter. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? His chains fell off. And then he shows up. Rap, rap, rap. Who is the gal that went to the door? Rhoda? Yeah, Rhoda. So just get this for a minute. Right? Now, what are we doing? The church is praying. They're praying that Peter would be released from prison. Okay. Got it? Y'all got that? Got it going? Okay. 
Uh, I'll get it. No way. <laughs> they wouldn't let him in. They got what they prayed for. My point is this. What if we really, really got our intercessory prayer on and prayed for our country, prayed for our world, and people got saved? Because that's what God wants. God wants all to come to repentance. See, we can pray, do that, God. Do that. You know what this world would look like if we really were good intercessors? Let me show you. This is my last. There's two examples of the greatest intercessors ever, ever. And it's actually the word that's used in the one. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. These are verses you need to know. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Romans chapter 8 is a fantastic chapter. In fact, you know what his purpose, God's purpose is for you? Verse 29. Let's start there. For whom, this is uh, actually verse 28 is a great place. Actually, we can't even do that. We've got to go back to verse 26 because this is the first one. How are you doing? Romans chapter 8. Let's start in verse 26. Likewise, Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What infirmities? He, he describes them. For we know not what we should pray for. Does that sound like Larry Melhoff? I don't even know what to pray for. Guess who's going to help me out? Who's going to intercede for me when I don't know what to pray for? The Holy Spirit is literally going to intercede for us and pray to God the Father when we don't even know what to pray for. Have you been there? Yes, you have. Sure you have. The things, the situations are so difficult, so overwhelming, they just don't even know what to do. I could give you multiple situations in my own life. I'm just, I'm gone. And you know what? I know from those verses, let's, read, let's finish it. Let's read verses 26 and 20. You need to have these marked. This is when you don't know what you should pray for. This is what happens. But the Spirit, watch this. But the Spirit itself, I have that circled in my Bible, that the Spirit itself maketh, read it, intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Those two verses are so fantastic when you don't even know what you're praying for. You don't even know where you're at. You don't know what you're about. The Holy Spirit is literally interceding for you before God. That's fantastic. And I got one more fantastic thing to share with you. Because of that, then verse 28, and we know because of that, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's really literally his whole purpose in having people saved is be conformed to the image of his son. And then go down to verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Hmm, that's a great question. He answers it. It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. <laughs> Are you guys fired up yet? And that's what Daniel's prayer really literally is teaching us. The elements of intercessory prayer. And today in America... January 31st, am I right on that? 2021, our nation is pleading for us to enter into intercessory prayer for them. That's exactly today and beyond.
Let's do it. Let's do it. And we can do it. You know why? Because Jesus is interceding for you and the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Now, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, then Jesus is not interceding for you and the Holy Spirit is not interceding for you. But Jesus died for you. He gave his life. He literally interceded in the sense of spanning the Grand Canyon, the separation between God and man that happened because of sin. And when you accept that free gift that he paid for, the good news is the Holy Spirit then is interceding for you because he lives within you. And Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And guess what? He's interceding for you as well. I can't give you much better, more, much more better news than that today. 2021 looks like it's going to have some challenges. It looks like it's going to have some twists and turns that I wouldn't even want to describe or try to even figure out. But I'll tell you this. I don't need to know because God, if you've accepted him as Christ, accepted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. And he is interceding for you. Let's get excited and fervent about intercessory prayer. It's the key to this nation, in this world, in this time. Again, revelation's going to happen. Yes, Lord, come quickly, as John said. But until then, we're here to be occupying and praying and interceding for those that don't know him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we can look to it with confidence, just as to think of the value of how great and eternal, Father, you are and the word is. On this one day in 538 B.C., and if it was 539 B.C., it seems so immaterial because he sat down and read the same words of God concerning you and what you were going to do after 70 years. Babylon would be vanquished and the Israelites would return home. Just as that excited him, Father, it should excite us as when we read the word of God to get on our knees and pray that it would happen just as your word declares, that our wills would get in line with yours, that we would be focused and passionate for others. Those in leadership, those in service, those that are serving the military, our family, all people across the world, those that have persecuted us, Matthew chapter 5. Father, there is no one in which we should not be intercessors for. Father, we leave the results to you. We want to just align our will with yours. We're excited to be able to be intercessors. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit in guiding us today, taking us to the depths of the Word of God. We've experienced things about Daniel and about prayer that excite us, encourage us, and drive us on. This week, Father, may we be diligent, may we be passionate about interceding for others in prayer. Our nation desperately needs it. 
There are young boys and girls across this nation, as hard as it is to believe, that really literally wouldn't even know what a Bible was. Father, there is a famine in the land of the Word of God. We lift these things up to you, Father, asking you to heal and restore the Word to our land. You are a great God, a sovereign God, an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, a majestic God. Thank you for being that, because we can pray to you knowing that there's nothing that can stop you from accomplishing your purposes. Nothing. That's why we pray to you, Father. We want your glory to be consummated in these prayers that we will give to you. Because it's all about your glory. You've turned our weaknesses into your strengths. Showing your powerful glory. Father, there's much we don't know. And at the times we don't know what to pray for. Thank you for Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. That literally the Holy Spirit is able to take over. And align us. Even when we don't know. There's power here, Father, that we have... We can't and we'll never get to the depths of. But Father, we'll take one step at a time in our journey of life, glorifying, honoring, and thanking you for all that you have done and for the love that Christ shed on Calvary's tree to buy us out of the the sin-slavery market. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Christ's name.